So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership, and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier, so let's find out why. Hello and welcome to this week's Mastermind episode, where we're going to be exploring leadership and high-performing teams. I just wanted to say a massive thank you to everyone who's dropped Inside the Mind of Champions into their WhatsApp group, social media posts or mentioned it to a friend down at the pub. We've climbed back to the edge of the Apple chart top 10 for management and when I look above us it's stacked with global businesses like McKinsey and academic powerhouses like Harvard University so thank you. I'm thrilled that you're finding it engaging, inspiring and practical and thank you for being here again today. The beauty of being an independent producer is that this is our show, you and me. So send your questions across about mindset, leadership, teams or culture, whatever is on your mind. I'm a coach at heart, so I'd love to help. So just shout and I'm available on hello at sportingedge.com and I'll reply to every one of your messages. I'm really excited to be designing some keynotes and some senior leadership sessions for clients in New York, Barcelona and Amsterdam in the coming weeks. There seems to be a few really common themes. Firstly, it's about resilience, well-being and that mental health side of things as we try and still cope with the pandemic and the challenges that that's brought on our personal and professional lives. Then there's a cluster of content around a different leadership style where we're trying to dial up coaching and creating a learning culture with growth mindset and psychological safety being core elements. And then there's the content around the future of leadership and and more currently, how to manage hybrid teams. It might sound quite distant and distinct um, topics, but in my head, I can almost visualise one of those ball and stick models from school chemistry, thinking about how these elements all link together. And when our brains frazzled because of change and uh, pressure and uncertainty, it's very difficult then to be thinking about growth and fresh challenges and innovation. And that's why this new leadership style of coaching and creating psychological safety and and having positive communication is so important as we try and drive our communities through change. And then we've got those other elements of creating that learning culture and embracing new technologies that's going to help us to future-proof ourselves and our businesses in the next decade. 
One of the great strengths of our digital platform, our members club, is that we can actually see the hot topics that people want to learn more about. So I've been able to go and find and interview some incredible people over the last few months and that content will all go in there. So if there's any key topics that you'd love to explore more, then like me, I'm sure you'll be fascinated to hear what these global thought leaders have got to say. And uh, yeah, just drop me a note and we'd be thrilled to give you some links and share some of the content with you. And today's guest will definitely help us to think through some of these people puzzles as well. And if you've read his book called Legacy, What the All Blacks Can Teach Us About the Business of Life, then you'll know all about him. But here's a snippet of what lies ahead in our conversation with best-selling author James Kerr. I mean, I think the All Blacks, in a way, are the ultimate case study in how to create a, a culture of sustained success. There's a lovely line from, from Bill Walsh from the San Francisco 49ers, if you take care of your character and your culture, the score will take care of itself. It's what you'd classically call a distributed leadership model. It's a phrase, I don't know if they've used or has been used about them, which just says, you know, a CEO in every position. I think the ability to learn and to create a learning environment to, to get better every day is, is, is implicit in all of them. If you pull on a number seven jersey, if you're Richie McCaw and you're pulling on a number seven jersey, he's pulling on the very same jersey as all the great number sevens before him. And the very same jersey as all the number sevens yet unborn. And his job is to leave that jersey in a better place. The secrets, if you like, um, that the All Blacks have done so well is they realise that people play best when they're really enjoying it. You know, when they're celebrating it. And by bringing a sense of gratitude and a sense of the moment, uh, and the 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 privilege uh, that it that it that it is to kind of pull on a black jersey and run out there. That embracing of that expectations creates a space where people will express themselves, um, try new things, um, uh, and 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 keep pushing that kind of a, a, a you know intuitive competitive advantage, if you like. So let's dive straight in. And the obvious first question to ask James was, why did he choose the All Blacks to write a book about? I mean, I think the All Blacks, in a way, are the ultimate case study in how to create a, a culture of sustained success. You know, their stats are incredible. 125 years of international rugby, something like a 78, 79% win ratio of all matches. You know, they've only lost at home 39 times in 125 years. You know, the statistics just keep tumbling out. Um, they're a phenomenon. So, you know, you know, both the fact that they're you know, arguably the best team in the world ever, perhaps the most dominant in their sport of all teams ever, and certainly consistently. That's one reason. Two, I'm a Kiwi, I'm a New Zealander. So, um, you know, having a sort of an understanding perhaps of that culture innately, you grow up with it. I wanted to, and wanted to combine that with the fact that they're a great case study with... Um, uh, some access I had uh, and some relationships I'd built with my knowledge and, and practice in other teams and other organizations and put it together as a sort of a an idea of why how it's done very very well because um, I think they are the masters at creating that narrative and that sense of belief and belonging um, and and telling their story both inside and out in a way that provides competitive advantage not because it's a nice to have but because they know that that cultural piece, that team and coherence and unity that they create out of that will keep driving them to the next level and the next level and the next level. And that kind of 
by boiling in that water, if you like, they set a mindset that enables them to, to make the most of their assets. And, you know, the All Blacks have great practical assets. It's a small country, but it's not too small. Um, they've got fantastic um, uh, a focus on coaching and on competitions. Got a great demographic from your sort of big pine tree, Scottish lumbering forward from down south to your flying Fijian winger. Um, all New Zealanders, but coming from different places and with different skill sets. Um, and, and mindsets and they've really uh, and they have the, this extraordinary heritage of the first tour that the All Blacks did. They went out and pasted 40, 50 points on everybody and proved to New Zealanders that even though you're a small island nation in the middle of nowhere on the other side of the world, you can still compete and win at the highest level with the rest of the world. So that innate sense of belief and, and representation and purpose that's behind that team you know, puts it in a great position. I think, but none of that means that they, it just happens. And I think what they've done very, very well, and particularly this most recent generation, has really embraced all of that heritage, embraced all of that expectation, and created an environment that if you sit back, you go, well, that's an ideal environment. It feels like a family, but it has some boundaries. There's psychological, huge psychological safety in there. There's a real joy and a privilege uh, of doing it, um, there's a very a collective sense of responsibility um, and, a, and an environment in which they're developing young men beyond being just rugby players into something else. And you go, if you were to design a team on paper, that might be what it looks like, but hey, there's one there as an example in real life. So that's what I was interested in. Well, we can hear his knowledge and passion bursting through in every sentence. James is a brilliant storyteller and has some incredible perspectives from the world of high performance. That combination of emotion from the heritage, diverse raw talent, highly skilled coaching and a strong bond between the individuals are brilliant ingredients. And add to that this desire to keep reminding the world that New Zealand may be small and often out of sight. But the All Blacks are a force of nature on the rugby field and we should never underestimate them. I think the All Blacks are probably the most loved and respected sporting team in the world and it's almost like they've transcended their sport. I loved the teamship that they showed in a recent World Cup where they all wore the same black boots. They didn't try and stand out as individuals with their personal sponsorship deals and fluorescent orange and yellow boots to make a statement. They were understated, and as a result, the team became the star. In James's book, he delves into the culture of the All Blacks and speaks of their humility, where senior players could be found sweeping the sheds or the changing rooms after a match to respect their local host club. They also have this no-dickheads policy, because they believe that recruiting on character rather than just skill is essential for long-term success, and that better people make better All Blacks. So let's explore the kind of leadership that James has seen in his work across high performance organisations and how that relates to the business environment. In terms of the shift in leadership style, you know, if you look at premiership football, for instance, you know, the, there's the rise of what I call the kind of metrosexual European coming in. Um, and that's a tremendously good thing in a new generation of uh, of individuals who appear to be a little bit more emotionally intelligent, more of a connector, 
kind of central to that to that to, to that group rather than a sort of an overlord and a hierarchical thing and i think that's mirrored very much in in, in broader society and we can debate why that's come about but i think the important thing to to grasp is that that requires a different approach or a different stance or posture i think for for most leaders from from uh, sort of hierarchical, if for want of a better word, or or you do it this way, and directional to really what I'd call kind of the coach CEO. Um, you know, an individual who who leads by trying to create an environment which everybody that everybody is connected to, uh, that brings out the best of their capabilities. So there's a lovely line from from Bill Walsh from the San Francisco 49ers: If you take care of your character and your culture, the score will take care of itself. And so coach CEOs, if you like, who take care of character and culture, create the right culture for exceptional results and the score takes care of itself. So that model, I think, uh, is more effective. It, it certainly attracts and certainly retains talent a lot longer. Um, it allows, the, it, it answers, you know, the, the holy trinity, you know, mastery, autonomy and relatedness from sort of deterministic theory. But people want to be really good at what they do. They want to be left alone to do it. They want autonomy. And they want to do work they love, hopefully, with people they at least like. Hopefully even love, in, in a you know, fraternalistic sense. Um, and if, as a, a leader, you can create that environment, one which people can be the best they can be, you're not micromanaging them. Uh, and they believe in the project and they like and they believe in the team, well, you're most of the way home in that kind of situation. And I think there's been a real shift towards the necessity for that, uh, that team leader and that coach approach, if you like, to leadership. So there are a few brilliant insights within that clip, and I can almost visualise that shift from the controlling overlord, as he says, to the empowering coach. And I agree that when we focus on the hearts and minds and the culture of our teams, that definitely has a big impact on the results. There are a few sharp edges and processes and accountability lines that need a green, though, to complete this recipe for success. But in Bill Walsh's quote of being process-focused rather than outcome-focused is really key. When we're focused on the outcome and winning, we get emotional and distracted and we can tolerate toxic behaviours from our top performers as we win at all costs in a short-term and reactionary manner. By having a lower ego and growing leaders around the team and club, it feels like we're giving away our power, but actually we're enabling people to step up in their own career. This gives them more confidence and the team is stronger as a result. So making this shift to a more empowered culture and thinking longer term in a world that craves winning and short-term focus can be really difficult. But ultimately, having more thinkers and more decision-makers in your team is going to be a valuable asset, as James now explains. Within the All Blacks environment, you know, it's what you'd classically call a distributed leadership model. It's a phrase, I don't know if they've used or has been used about them, which just says, you know, a CEO in every position, a decision maker in every position. And there's a lovely Maori series of Maori proverbs and stories based on the idea of the spearhead, um, which is a, a flying, a flock of in New Zealand, the native cormorant, but like a flying geese, if you like, a, a vector formation. Um, and the way it works is um, 
the, you know, the bird up the front of this formation sets the direction and sets the pace, creates some uplift for those who come behind. Um, those who come behind honk in appreciation to encourage that leader on, and they create uplift of their own to drag those behind them. Um, if one bird should fall, should leave the flock, should fall sick or fall out, two birds will go, will go with that bird to help it regain its place, um, because that loyalty thing is, is, is so important. Um, and, and, you know, importantly, maybe most importantly, when the leader has done what, it's can, what it can, it knows it can drop back into formation. There'll be another bird there to take its place. So it's sort of one captain, but 15 leader, leaders, you know, that CEO in every position, or in the military, the strategic corporal. Um, so, you know, that's, 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 that's gold dust for, for any team leader, because what you've got is you've got thinking, what the military, again, would call thinking soldiers. Um, people not just going, where do you want me to stand, boss? But going, listen, if I'm a little bit over there, I reduce that angle over there in a sporting context. Or discretionary effort in, in customer service. Going that extra mile in customer service, really going off script to sort out something and because the end result is a happy customer. You know, however you, you know, whatever the kind of the, the leadership need for, for initiative and, and flexibility and a degree of leadership. Within a, with an understood framework. I think we've all looked up and marvelled at those geese flying in that V formation for hundreds of miles, supporting and inspiring each other to keep going and then allowing other people to take the lead when they've uh, had a good stint and they're always thinking about the greater good of the, the formation. I love that uh, analogy. And we've also got in this insight these passionate and committed leaders who are really committed to growing more leaders so that we've got increased capability within the team. Certainly the world's highest performing teams have got a lot of senior players that can help to make decisions and stand up under pressure and, and be great role models. And that's definitely something that needs nurturing. I can remember from my days captaining 2020 cricket teams that um, it was such a fast moving game and having some great senior pros alongside me that I could consult and delegate little projects to was really, really important. No leader can do it all on our own and we've got to fight that temptation to hold on to everything so that we can empower others to pick up some of the workload, to use their initiative and to use their skills to make a bigger contribution. And we often see greater impact and loyalty from these players towards the team. After all, they feel like it's a team that they're helping to shape. And who wouldn't want to be part of that? In recent weeks, we've heard from business leaders and innovation experts like Tendai Vicky, emphasising the importance of learning. And I wondered if James had seen the same on his travels, researching high-performing teams. You know, what defines the world's great teams? And I think the ability to learn and to create a learning environment, to, to get better every day, is... Is, is implicit in all of them. Uh, the All Blacks use that phrase, you know, to get better every day. Um, the, the, um, uh, the US Navy SEALs talk about uh, their selection process. Part of it is, is finding expert learners. They want people who can pick up stuff pretty quick and adapt and improvise and overcome. So it's a, obviously in a, in a changing, fast changing, the cliched fast changing world, where the, to be able to learn and take on new skills and take different approaches is really critical in terms of competitive advantage. And it, it changes really, if you look at it on a, on a macro level, 
that changes the basic pattern from being kind of an alpha curve, which is some seasons we win, sometimes we don't, or we did really well last quarter, you kind of expect a bit of come down, whatever we rationalize it, um, to what's called a sigmoid curve, which is, uh, I've sort of phrased it, when you're on top of your game, change your game. When you're on top of your game, change your game. Don't be, don't be satisfied with a winning formula. Um, because you know other people will, will figure that one out and they'll come back. So you've got to stay ahead of that game and be bold enough not to sort of burn your boats, you know, to leave the past behind and to keep moving forward so that innovation is part of your process. It's not a, we just find a formula and stick to it. Um, and, and that's a mindset thing. It's an ability or it's a desire to keep questioning. Um, and it comes from the desire to, uh, you know, as I said, get better every day. How can we improve? Um, you know, aim for perfection and know you'll never get there. There's a lovely Maori proverb, you know, aim for the highest cloud because even if you come short, you'll hit a lofty mountain. So if perfection is your aim. You're never going to get there. You've got to keep on trying to get better all, every day. So despite already being world-class in their own right, James is giving a clear signal that humility and curiosity are baked into the high-performing environments that he's seen, not only through their everyday practices of asking great questions and challenging those long-held assumptions, but also by future-proofing the team, by recruiting expert learners. How often do we question people about their ability to learn in the interview process we can look at their degrees and their you know qualifications but the ability to learn is a key skill that we need in the future and those who've got a proven track record of demonstrating tenacity and having a growth mindset through tough and turbulent times will be absolutely vital in our next decade. James generously shared so many insights during the time I spent with him. So these are just a snapshot of his wider interview. But learning definitely was a key message. And that can be a competitive edge for all of us. If you'd like to learn from the wider insights from James and over a 100 other world-class thinkers and performers, you can activate your free membership as a podcast listener by visiting sportingedge.com. And as you complete your registration, use the code PODCAST100 in the checkout. And then you won't need your credit card and you'll get a free month's membership inside our digital coaching community. If you're ambitious, I'm sure you'll feel like you've entered Narnia with one of the world's best professional development tools at your fingertips. One of our corporate clients has just enrolled 50 of their high potentials as a great way to retain them and upskill them. And they described it as Netflix for leaders, which was brilliant. If you're serious about performance, I'd love you to try it. And I'd love your feedback on our members events, the micro courses and the content that you can use in your Zoom and Microsoft team meetings. So come over to sportingedge.com forward slash membership and I'll see you inside. One of the central themes in James's book is the Maori philosophy of whakapapa, which is a great word and represents the passage of time and the role we play in it. As James explains it, we're all connected arm in arm to our ancestors on one side and our future generations on the other side in an unbreakable chain of people. And the sun travels down the line, revealing each generation slowly in turn. And the All Blacks believe that we all have our time in the sun, in the jersey, and it's our job to leave it in a better place than we found it. 
It's this connection to the wisdom and the legacy of our ancestors which gives us the responsibility to make the very best that we can for the future generations. This could be applied to the environment or to inductions in our teams. So I was fascinated to ask James how the All Blacks connected these rich spiritual philosophies and stories to move people away from the short-term and selfish thinking that we often see in society into this legacy style thinking, because maybe that's the key driver of their sustained success over so many decades. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question and it comes down to that leaving the jersey in a better place, being a steward of the jersey, um, uh, you know, inhabiting it and leave and enhancing that legacy while you're in there. So that if you pull on a number seven jersey, if you're Richie McCaw and you're pulling on a number seven jersey, he's pulling on the very same jersey as all the great number sevens before him, and the very same jersey as all the number sevens yet unborn. And his job is to leave that jersey in a better place. And so that story hold, helps hold that together. Um, other ways they've sort of done it and looked at it, um, when Jonah Lomu became the, the in, incumbent number 11, John Kerwin presented him, the previous kind of great in that position, presented him with his jersey, literally handing it from one generation to the next. Um, and, and that, that sense of their own story um, and the finding different ways to enact and to articulate that story depending on the circumstance and the, uh, the occasion, I think is again a tremendously powerful way of generating that culture. There's a phrase I like to use, is the, the story you tell yourself turns out to be the stories that others tell about you. You know, that, that you tell yourself, first you tell yourself the story, I am going to do this or be this or this is what I stand for. And over time, if you hold to that story and if it's a good story, if it's a good enough story, it'll start to take effect in the real world. And that sense of this is a tremendous privilege to hand this jersey over to you, take care of it for the next generation, is an enactment of really the expectations that they can then embrace and hold on to that responsibility. So it's a tremendously powerful, glue. I call it the glue and the oil at the, at the heart of it. I think this is such a profound and beautiful philosophy. We've got some of the toughest blokes in world sport thinking about the lessons that they've learned from their ancestors and taking responsibility to build a sustainable culture and an individual legacy in their jersey so that their families and the future players coming after them will be proud of it. And this is the exact opposite of the short-term celebrity culture that we often see. And the great thing is, it delivers amazing results. As we look back into the All Blacks lineage, it's produced some of the greatest players of all time. So if I ask you just to pause for a moment and think about the greatest All Blacks that come to mind, who would you say it is? Maybe it's Jonah Lomu, Dan Carter, Sean Fitzpatrick. Zinzambruck or Ma Nanu. Whoever you choose first, I'm sure that Richie McCaw would be in your top three. He epitomises all the characteristics we've discussed so far. And when I asked James to shed some light on his individual mindset, here's what he had to say. Define the winning mindset for, for Richie McCaw. I mean, you know, I can't speak for Richie, obviously, you know, and he can speak quite articulately for himself. But... Um, from what I've observed, um, he um, he leads by deeds, not words. You know, it, it, he's pretty straightforward in what he says. As a man of relatively few, few words, but he but the right ones. 
and then he will lead, lead by example. So his work rate and um, his blast radius, as they kind of call it, is very, very strong. Um, uh, he always had his head in the distance. Um, there's a famous story that he tells about when he was 15. He announced he wanted to be an all-black and he was asked to write his goals, you know, first 15 provincial franchise all black all black captain and his uncle said is that it is sort of words to the effect of is that it is that the limit of your ambition surely you want to be a great all black and Richie wrote GAB for standing for great all black down on his sheet and he used that as a sort of you know north star I guess and he would ask himself what would a great all black do you know and it's a great question to ask if on a rainy Sunday night when you should be out for a run and you go well what would a great all black do better get my trainers on um, and for Richie it came to a head when they lost in 2007 in the quarterfinals against France and he had to ask himself what a great what would a great all black do and he wasn't yet a great all black so he had really no choice but to re-sign with the union and he went along you know took the all blacks to the 2011 and then the 2015 world cup um, and he is, I think, indisputably the great All Black. And it wouldn't have happened if he hadn't written it down. So he was very vision-led, I would say. You know, he had a very strong vision of what he wanted to achieve and he held it for, for all of his, his career. So I think the think big side of it. And then I think that just every day it's all about the work, humility and hard work. Um, has taken him, you know, a long, long way and earned him a lot of respect. And he's a fantastic flanker. You know, he's a talented winner of the ball at the breakdown. Uh, but he works hard and he stays humble. He leads by example. Um, uh, and he has, a, he has a goal. And nothing's going to get in the way of him finally achieving it, even if it's 10 or 15 years out. So that's a pretty good combination, I'd say. It is indeed. And I love that phrase about Richie's blast radius which is easier to quantify if you're a flanker than if you work in accounting or coaching. But I love the Im imagery of thinking about the size of the impact that we have in and on our teams. Do we go and smash through our projects each week or are we tentatively going through the motions? For Richie, using that question around what would a great All Black do kept him honest and committed even when his motivation was low. And I think that's a great metaphor for us all to consider. What would a great student do? What would a great dad do? What would a great coach do in this situation? You can fill the blanks with your own role, but the ability to hold ourselves to account against those highest standards, even when no one is watching, is the hallmark of Richie McCaw. And that's why he has so much mana or respect in the game. Now, I know we don't always feel like legends in our own roles and we can't always think about blasting our way through our work each week. We sometimes have those insecurities and that fear of failure. But can you imagine being a debutante in the All Blacks with that weight of history behind you? Having a legend in your position present you with your shirt is a great emotional touchpoint. But how do these players cope with the pressure and burden of expectation of representing this epic brand and the greatest rugby team in history. If we talk about embracing expectation and the courage that that takes, um, I think one of the 
you know, the secrets, if you like, um, that the All Blacks have done so well is they've realised that people play best when they're really enjoying it, you know, when they're celebrating it. And by bringing a sense of gratitude and a sense of the moment uh, and the, the, the privilege uh, that, it, that, it, that it is to kind of pull on a black jersey and run out there, that embracing of that expectations creates a space where people will express themselves um, try new things um, uh, and 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 keep pushing that kind of a, a, a you know intuitive competitive advantage if you like um, so so you know is courage the right word for it is it just kind of fronting up and putting on a brave face I'm, I, I think it's more about realizing that you know there's a lovely phrase um, that that pressure is a privilege you know that if you're not under pressure it's 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 like riding a motorbike and the wind's not in your face what's the point you know, these are the moments we live for, you know, as competitive human beings in sport. You know, those are the moments you live for, and it's a privilege to be part of that. Embrace that privilege. Walk towards the flame, you know, um, uh, and, 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 and kind of make the most of that opportunity because they don't come around that often. And that mindset isn't really about just being brave. It's actually genuinely about enjoying it, and that's an incredibly resourceful environment, personal environment to be in. Um, because you're relaxed, you're enjoying it, you're playing, and you're playful, um, you're connected in a, in a different way, and much better than sitting there completely nervous, thinking, being risk averse, and hoping I don't make a mistake. So courage would be sitting there going, I hope I don't make a mistake, I'm really brave to be here. I think the opposite is just embrace it and be grateful for the privilege and make the most of it. Personally, I can't relate to the wind flowing through my hair on a motorbike, but I do love the sentiment of being playful and full of adventure and reveling in the opportunity in front of us. This is a golden nugget and coaches that can move their team from being gripped by fear to a place where they're experimental and entertaining in high stakes situations have absolutely nailed it. We need to trust our skills and ourselves under pressure and relax and let the talent flow out of us and deliver our best skills. Pressure is a privilege because what we're doing is important to us and for our team. But as we've heard from the philosophy of Fucker Papa, our time in the sun is very short and we may never get this as a team. We may ne never get this project and this opportunity in our lives again. So let's not be gripped by fear and then be full of regret because we didn't give it our all. Let's attack it like Jonah Lomu and look back on our time in the shirt or in the project, knowing that we couldn't possibly have given anything more. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode with James Kerr. Please do pass it on to all your rugby fans and the leaders in your network and make sure you add James's brilliant book Legacy to your reading list. Remember, you can activate your Sporting Edge membership if you haven't already using the free code and if you have any questions, please do drop me a note on LinkedIn or email me at hello at sportingedge.com. Until next time, good luck and keep meeting that great all black challenge with your own best game. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com.
sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. 